Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful of your hearts, will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and anxieties of life, and that they will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Thanks, Han, and uh, good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name's uh, Jacob. I'm one of the workers here at the branch. And if anyone wants a bag of figs, they're, uh, they're up here for after the service. <laughs> well, uh, why don't we pray before we get started? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, which gives us perspective. Our Lord, many of us come here this morning... Uh, in all honesty, with hearts weighed down uh, by the pleasures and the anxieties of this life, uh, and your word helps us to be called out of that, to have our hearts and our minds lifted up to uh, greater realities, greater truths. And so we pray that by your spirit you would uh, do that for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bear with me. Uh, Well... I wonder where, where are you at when it comes to this whole subject of the end of the world? Is it something that you, you think about very often? It's a subject that's pretty deeply impressed into the human psyche for whatever reason. So even lately, you know, there's this proliferation of kind of apocalyptic movies like Armageddon and 2012... I remember when I was 15, I watched a, uh, a movie which terrified me called 28 Days Later. It's the best zombie movie that's ever been made. Uh, but I remember early on in that movie, they had this uh, like spray painting on the wall saying, repent because the end is nigh. You know, this idea of the end of the world, it's, it's impressed on the human psyche and it has been for centuries Lots of cultures over thousands of years have all developed their own ideas about how the world's going to end and what the signs will be and everything like that. What about you? Where are you at? I think as Christians, we we kind of fall somewhere on a spectrum. So at, at one end of the spectrum, there's people who love to kind of dive into the deep end of eschatology, which is the subject of the last things, the end times. Some of us, uh, you know, you love the book of Revelation. You love studying all the details and the numbers and the symbolism and everything like that. Maybe you've got both feet firmly planted in the pre-millennial or post-millennial or a-millennial camp or the pre- or post-tribulation camp. Uh, Maybe that's you. But I suspect for many of us, we're probably closer down the other end of the spectrum. You hear words like pre-millennial or pre-tribulation and you just, you check out. You're not really sure what those words mean. Like, it's enough for you to know that the world will end one day. Jesus will come back one day and you don't really 
need to know about all the other details. But the spectrum goes further, I think. Lots of us barely ever stop to consider that one day this world will end, Jesus will come back and the kingdom of God will arrive in all its fullness. We're so busy with life that we we hardly stop to think that this world isn't all there is. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, the real question is, what's the right response to the reality that one day Jesus will come back and the world will end? How should we live in light of that fact? Well, the parable that we're looking at today, it helps us to start to answer those questions. It doesn't answer every single question that we might have about the end of the world, but it helps us to get the fundamentals right. In this passage we just read, Jesus tells us to do three things that will help us to recognise and live in light of the fact that he's coming back. Uh, It'll be helpful to have your Bibles open, keep your Bibles open as we go through those things. So the first thing that Jesus tells us to do is to look at the fig tree. In verse 29, Jesus said to his disciples, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. The point that Jesus is making is pretty clear, pretty simple. In the same way that when you see the trees start to grow leaves in springtime, you know that summer's close, you get that sense of expectation, especially here in Tassie. And so Jesus says when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. It's a simple point, but it's, it's complicated by the question of what are these things that Jesus is referring to in verse 31? And that can be a tricky question to answer because in the uh, verses beforehand, all through Luke 21, Jesus makes reference to some really specific events in history, but he also broadens the scope and he talks about things that seem more general. Basically, you, you might separate the things that Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 21 into three separate categories or timelines. The first category relates to the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70. In verse 5, Jesus says that not one stone of the temple will be left on top of another. Then in verses 20 and following, he goes on to say, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the desolation is near Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. Jesus is is talking about the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. And that happened in 70 AD. Jesus' prophecies came true. That's the first category, if you like, and it's quite specific. The second category is broader, And it seems to involve things that have been happening pretty much from the time Jesus ascended into heaven until now. Uh, So in verse 10, nation rising against nation, great earthquakes, famines and pestilences, verse 11, persecution of Christians, verse 12. 
this stuff has been going on for the last 2,000 years. It's more a general category, if you like, but it, it still signals that the kingdom of God is near. The third category is, again, quite specific and, and seems to be dealing with things that happen pretty much immediately or very shortly before Jesus comes again. Uh, Verse 25 talks about what you might call universe-altering signs. Signs in the sun and the moon and stars. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Things are going to... They're going to ramp up before they're wrapped up, so to speak. So there's three categories or timelines going on. And Jesus says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When you see them sprouting leaves, summer is coming. So when you see these things, whatever the category, the kingdom of God is near. It's almost as if Jesus is not letting any of us off the hook. None of us can say, when we hear these words of Jesus, that doesn't apply to me. That's talking about stuff that happened ages ago. Well, that's talking about stuff that's going to happen a long time in the future. These words were meant for Jesus' disciples. They're meant for you and me. And they're meant for everyone who reads them until Jesus comes back. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Which raises another question. This is the second of two kind of questions that this passage raises. Who is this generation? Uh, There's a few different interpretations. It's not a hill that you'll die on, uh, defending your position of who uh, this generation refers to. Uh, Some people say that Jesus is referring to the immediate generation, the people that we're going to live for the next 40 years. Uh, Other people say Jesus is referring to the generation that's going to be around right at the end times. Uh, And other people say that it refers to humanity in general, just the human race. It's a tricky one. All those options seem plausible. uh, But I favour the third option, that Jesus is talking about humanity in general, particularly uh, given the context, the, the fact that Jesus has referred to uh, things happening over a long period of history. If this generation means the whole human race, then again, no one can say that what Jesus is talking about here doesn't apply to me. Now, that's really just a skimming over of Luke 21. We've dipped our toes in the shallow end of eschatology, the study of the last things, if you like. But the take-home really for us is this. Look at the fig tree. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When you see them sprouting leaves, you know summer is coming. In Tassie, we see the cherry blossom trees come out in kind of late August, September, and you know that the warmer weather's not too far off. There's a sense of kind of recognition. You see him on the side of the road and you go, oh, yeah, summer's coming. And you have that kind of expectation and readiness. You feel like, yes, I'm ready for it now. And that's really what Jesus is getting at. Jesus says that we should have that same sense about us when we see things happening in the world around us. 
we should recognise that the kingdom of God is getting closer. We're in the last days. The book of Hebrews starts by saying that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And one of the things that his son has said to us is look at the fig tree. Look at the cherry blossom tree. Recognise that the kingdom of God is near. Live in expectation. So in a year where we've had a pandemic that's pretty much shut the whole world down, don't shrug that off or be blasé or ignorant about it. Recognise that the kingdom of God is near. Live in expectation in a world where there's growing tension between superpowers like China and the USA, don't shrug that off. Recognise that the kingdom of God is near. Live in expectation. In a year that's seen protests around the world, every time you turn on the news, there's another protest for things like Black Lives Matter, other political tensions, protests in Hong Kong, Thailand, Brazil, Belarus, protests and uprisings all around the world. When you see that stuff, recognise that the kingdom of God is near. Live in expectation. In a world where there's estimated currently about 71 million refugees... Three times the population of Australia displaced from their homes because of conflict and war and famine. Recognise that the kingdom of God is near. Live in expectation. In a world where it seems like natural disasters are getting more frequent and more intense, don't shrug that off. Recognise that the kingdom of God is near. How near? We don't know but the footsteps of Jesus are getting louder. There's no reason to go into a panic and start a commune. There's no reason to to get obsessed about signs and dates and times. That's that's not what Jesus is saying. But we shouldn't be blasé or ignorant either. No, we should... Look at the world around us in the same way that we look at the fig tree, the cherry blossom tree. In the same way that we see those blossoms and recognise that summer's coming, we should recognise that what we're seeing in the world around us today is a sign that the kingdom of God is near. And that should change the way we live when we see those signs and recognise that the kingdom of God is near, it should change the way we live. If you think about it, what what you think is going to happen in the future affects how you live in the present. So if you think the housing market's going to go up, you're more likely to, if you can, buy a house in the present. And lots of other examples like that. So in the same way, what we think is going to happen in the future, the kingdom of God is near, it's coming, should change the way we live in the present. It should make us be careful. That's the second thing that Jesus tells us to do. We see in verse uh, 34 that Jesus says to us, in light of the fact that the kingdom of God is near, be careful. 
or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Jesus tells us to be careful that our hearts aren't weighed down with carousing, which basically means partying, having a good time, drinking too much, uh, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. That's an interesting expression, that expression, weighed down. It carries the sense of, of being burdened, carrying a heavy load, almost like wearing a big backpack that's full of things that pull you down and make you less able to respond And Jesus says that our hearts can be full of things that pull us down and leave us unprepared for the day when he comes back. He uses the examples of partying and getting drunk, having a good time, just kind of indulging in all the pleasures that this life has to offer. Jesus says... Don't let your hearts be weighed down by that kind of thing. Realise that there's more to life than than chasing after the next high, living for the weekend. You know, last year we, we ran a survey series where we asked people, what do you live for? And of the top four most common responses, one of those responses was, I live to have fun. I live to have a good time. It's such a common approach to life, isn't it? Especially in the West, where we don't have kind of bigger concerns of poverty and conflict and all sorts of things going on. We're freed up to just think about parting it up, having a good time. And that's the way so many people approach life. Living as if having a good time is the only thing that we're on the planet for. Not just partying and getting drunk, but but chasing all sorts of pleasures getting obsessed about eating out or adventure sports, getting away to the shack or whatever it might be. Now, of course, there's, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but we just kind of need to check our hearts that we're not putting too much stock into those things. Jesus says, don't be like that. Be different. Be careful, or the day I come back will fall on you suddenly like a trap. You won't see it coming. You won't be ready. Jesus also tells us to be careful that our hearts aren't weighed down by the anxieties of this life, the cares of this world, money, possessions, career, family, relationships, just the kind of day-to-day business of life. Again, those things are important. But they shouldn't become all-consuming for us as if they're the be-all and end-all of life. They shouldn't weigh our hearts down and choke out our desire to, to serve God and live in light of eternity. We can be guilty of, of getting so caught up in the things of this world that we just kind of lose perspective. We look forward to being able to have enough money so we can go on that holiday, buy that car, send our kids to that school, buy that house, retire early. These kind of things just dominate our headspace. 
When you lie awake at night, what do you think about? The conversations that you have, what are you talking about? So many of the conversations I have, so many of the words that come out of my own mouth centre on these kind of things. Money, possessions, the cares of this world, the anxieties of life. But Jesus says, be careful. Be careful that your heart isn't weighed down by these kinds of things or the day I come back will fall on you suddenly like a trap. You won't see it coming. You won't be ready. It's worth asking ourselves the question, am I ready for that day? Or am I too caught up in the pleasures and the cares of this life? It's worth asking other people too. Our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, our city is full of people who aren't going to be ready for that day. Pray for the conviction and the courage to take these words of Jesus to them. To be bold, to do something like ask the survey question, what are you most afraid of? To engage people in a conversation about the fact that there's more important things to live for than the pleasures and the cares of this life. So Jesus tells us to look at the fig tree He tells us to be careful. And finally, Jesus tells us to always be on the watch and pray. He says in verse 36, Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Being careful and being always on the watch In this passage, I like two sides of the same coin. Be careful that you don't live like this, having your hearts weighed down. Rather, be always on the watch so that you do live like this. Being always on the watch doesn't mean just kind of standing around, gazing up into the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. It doesn't mean getting obsessed about signs and dates and times. Rather, being always on the watch is more talking about a kind of moral vigilance, striving to live godly and holy lives, striving to to throw off sin and everything that stops us from looking forward to the day that Jesus returns, everything that weighs us down. So Titus chapter 2 verse 11 to 13 says that the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Did you catch the connection there between grace and salvation and godly living? Being always on the watch... Living upright and godly lives isn't, trying about, isn't about trying to be this kind of perfect moral person so that you won't be caught off guard when Jesus comes, like being caught red-handed in the act of some sin. It's actually it's much more deep and profound than that. See, the good news of the gospel is that when you come to Jesus and trust in him, and his death on the cross to pay for your sin, then you're made right with God. 
The debt of sin and guilt that you owe to God is paid for by Jesus. You're saved. And that's a work of God's free grace. But grace doesn't stop there. Titus tells us that grace actually teaches us how to live. God's agenda for you is not just that Jesus would pay for your sin, but that you would actually be able to change That by his grace, you'd be able to start to say no to sin and start to love and follow God's good design for your life. Why is that important? Well, part of the reason is because the new world, the kingdom of God that comes when Jesus returns, that's going to be a world without sin. It's going to be a world full of perfection and beauty and splendor and wonder and peace and harmony and great joy because sin won't be there to spoil everything. And so being watchful and by God's grace living upright and godly lives while we wait for that kingdom to come means that we'll be ready when it does come. Like athletes who who don't just sit around waiting for the Olympics to arrive. No, they spend their lives training and preparing for the big event. So when the day comes, they're ready. That's what it means to be always on the watch. Just getting about the business of living godly and upright lives. Fighting against our sin. Seeking to do good, to love and serve God and each other. And doing that together. Hebrews 10.25, don't stop meeting together, but consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Living this kind of life is tiring, it's exhausting. And that's why God's given us each other. It's also why he's, part of the reason why he's given us prayer. It's impossible to live this kind of life in our own strength. And so Jesus says, pray. Prayer is like the fuel that drives our engines, the the wind in our sails, if you like. It's as we pray that we find the grace that we need to keep going. We find the strength to keep fighting against sin. Sin starts to look ugly in comparison to the holiness and the goodness of the God to who we pray. It's as we pray that we find our hearts start to be less weighed down by the cares and the anxieties of life. Those things start to look small in comparison to the greatness of the God to who we pray. It's as we pray that our perspective changes and the things of this life get put in their proper place. As we pray, we get given a a kingdom perspective Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come. So we pray for that. We pray for the the salvation of people around us because the kingdom of God is near. We pray for the work of our missionaries because the kingdom of God is near. Prayer changes our perspective, changes our focus, helps us to be watchful and to be ready. That's what it means to be able to escape means that that day of Jesus' return won't fall on us like a trap and it means that we'll be able to stand before Jesus when he comes. Not that our prayers make us worthy, but our prayers help to keep us ready.
And so again, the question really for us to finish on is, are you ready? The day of Jesus' return is coming. The day where you'll meet him face to face. It'll be a dreadful day, a terrible day, if you're not ready. But what a wonderful day, glorious day, if you are ready. Look at the fig tree. Be careful. Be always on the watch and pray. Let's pray now. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you again uh, for the warning here from Jesus in this passage to be careful, to look at the things happening in the world around us and to be reminded that this world isn't all there is and to be ready for Jesus to come back. Lord, we pray for that day to come quickly. But we also pray that uh, we might live well in light of that day. Lord, that we'd be freed from uh, just living for the pleasures and the anxieties of this life. And that all that we do might be shaped and flavoured by the reality of eternity. Lord, we pray for uh, those we know and those in this room who... uh, aren't ready for that day. Lord, help us to be ready, firstly, by uh, putting our trust in Jesus, finding forgiveness and salvation in him. And Lord, help us to be people who are bold and courageous enough to uh, take this message, take this news to the world around us. We pray it all for Jesus' sake and for the glory of your name. Amen.